This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie lovers, back for another Anatomy of Movie. It's a movie show where we talk about movies. That's right. We're going to get very meta today because, of course, we're talking about Deadpool 2, The Return of Thanos. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Ladies and gentlemen, here are the sounds of Celine Dion as she opens up our Anatomy of a Movie. I mean, she's amazing. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. We have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. But you know what? This is the wrong way to start this. This is, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. No, cut, Celine. Let's, let's, let's go with something else. What do we got? There we go. That's a little bit better. If we're going to do a podcast, let's do it right. We, of course, are talking Deadpool 2. And we will be serious, even though we've been silly up until this point. And you know what? We're going to break it down in terms of story. We're going to break it down in terms of production, all the references and so forth. Lots and lots to discuss, and if, by the way, we're already talking about it, if you don't think it's spoiler-filled, well, you've been warned, it is going to be spoiler-filled. If you're joining us for the very first time, welcome to the show. If you're returning, welcome back. And as always, you can follow along with our discussion via the rundown. It's in your description box. It's a little PDF. It's a link. You click it, and it comes up, and you get to follow along. But without further ado... Before we get into anything, we have to kind of state what we thought of the movie. Marissa. Okay, so it actually admittedly took me a long time to see the original Deadpool. I think I saw it probably a year and a half after it came out. It was already on Blu-ray and DVD, so like I, I was late to the party. Um, generally, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I thought it was fun and completely different structure than what we normally see in the comic book films, and I can see why everyone loved it, and then saw Deadpool 2 when it came out in theaters. So I was like, alright, I, I kind of know what's up, and it was also still fun. I like how this, yeah, it ties to other films, but individually, like, if you isolate this film, it's, it's actually pretty fun on its own, and I, of course, I enjoyed the music as well. Just like everybody enjoyed the soundtrack to the first one, I enjoyed the soundtrack to this one. I thought it was a fun movie. Excellent. And Dimitri? Holy shitballs. Deadpool 2. Uh, yeah, this movie is, it's it's almost as good as the original. Uh, the original being the original, so you get all that shock and awe out of your system and, and the, the self-awareness. And this movie was self-aware times two. <laughs> I think it made fun uh, of every comic book universe uh made you know uh, at, at its fingertips uh which i enjoyed a lot um this is definitely ryan reynolds character uh we'll talk a little bit more about him but he owns this character um and i really enjoyed the switcheroo that they did with the villains uh, it's good to see Josh Brolin, and he's set up, even in the trailers for this movie, as he's going to be the nemesis for Deadpool uh, this time around. But I like how they switched that. 
that to me was clever. And it, it, it actually, I was like, okay, I really am in, th- that's smart. We don't see that often. We see a lot of cliche things about villains, and this one had that. But then when the switcheroo comes, you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. And there's just piles of laughs in this movie. Uh, and, and the self, the, it's self-awareness and self-referentialism here. It was, it was, it was fantastically fun. Uh, and I found myself laughing out loud a lot. I agree. And w- one of the funniest parts to me was Domino and the whole idea of luck. And at first it seemed such a silly thing. But then when you consider what the whole movie is as far as you look at any James Bond movie and how just ridiculous it seems of what he can pull off. And you know what? Maybe it did take a little bit of luck. And and that that in particular was one of my favorites. Um, As far as the tone, I love the comedy, but it, it was interesting to see them try to blend emotional beats with comedy. And I think... Marvel tries to do a lot of that, um, where they underhand their emotional beats with comedy. And obviously, when you take Deadpool, that's just going to be, you know, you say 2x, I'm going to say 10x as far as how it how it comes across. So, uh, you know, overall, did I feel the emotion as much? Not really, but uh, but it was a fun movie. So I'll give it that. Yeah, and it does have heart. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's crux of the heart is the relationship that Deadpool has. Uh, you know, with with, with Marina Baccarin's character, right? And that was a really big deal in the first movie. And again, going against stereotype that she still loves Wade after the, the experiment gone wrong. Um, it's a really, it's a really cool love story to have within this rated R raunchy comic book thing. And I think it's it, it holds things together. Uh, and that comes into this movie it comes into play uh, and we'll get more into that but uh it, it's hard and, and this is a family film <laughs> which is, is you know for kids uh it, it is at the end of the day it, it sets out what, what it sets up to do what it says it sets out to prove that it is a family film and i thought that it did that quite well too for this kind of a movie well, let, let's use that as the jumping-off point as far as Vanessa, right? Um, we'll we'll touch upon the family element in, in a moment. But I, I do want to ask you guys, you know, one of the things... I really did love Vanessa, and I appreciated that even though they killed her off initially, we, we get her throughout the movie. But I am bummed because I think she's A, a great actress, B, a great character, and to not have that utilized... I don't know, I, I felt like that was that was a big letdown of the movie. Um, you know, and you could say, yes, uh, there's a whole fridging argument, which I can explain to you. Uh, are you guys familiar with the term? Yes. Yes. You know? So basically, well, Dimitri, I'll let you explain. I've never heard it until today called fridging, but basically it was a backlash for, believe it or not, DC movies, uh, particularly uh, Green Lantern. Uh, I forget. Please forgive me, and I'm sure our fans can help me out with this. Don't be mean. Just help me out because it's been a long time since I've read this comic. But it wasn't Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. It was another one of the Green Lanterns whose girlfriend was killed and stuck in a refrigerator for him to find. Uh, this caused, caused a lot of backlash because D, because then comic books seem to treat women 
like as disposable as being able to just throw them in refrigerators. So it caused a controversy and a backlash uh, within the comic book world. And that's actually to some people will pinpoint that as a change as to the change of how women are portrayed in comic books and that they are given better roles and cast. So fridging, which I just heard today, uh, I didn't know it was actually called fridging, but I know from where it comes from. Uh, So it was an interesting, uh, uh, yeah, when you said fridging, I mean, do you mean putting dead women in refrigerators? And you're like, yes. Well, (laughs) it's it's, it's the notion that you, you take a female character and you either kill her off, you rape her or do some other horrific, violent act to spark the main character primarily a guy, into action. And so, you know, yeah, like, I obviously I understand that argument. I'm upset by that. But more so, for me, Vanessa is just a great character. And uh, now that you know what fridging means, Marissa, I want to get your perspective on it. First of all, that's terrible. <laughs> um, it's a terrible thing that they would do to women. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty obvious. But I think it's it's interesting because Vanessa is a cool character from the first one and to this one. Um, very, she, she's one of the things, and it's not to say necessarily Wade's, you know, weakness, but something that um, adds to the, the soft vulnerability of nature of his character that makes it relatable for just the human aspect. Um, I didn't mind that they killed her off because it did help serve as a motivation slash catalyst for just the the story pot element to get the movie going. Right. It was within the first five, ten minutes. But I like it didn't feel like she ever really truly died because we kept getting flashbacks or whatever his visions are of when he's quote unquote dead or he's imagining Vanessa there in the other room and he can't get to her. We did see her interspersed throughout the film, so she never like really truly went away. So it didn't treat her death as something horrific. It was just something, a plot device to move the story forward. And I like that. Yeah, and I found it, I, 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 uh, personal experience, I found it to be emotional. I found it to be well as to how they handle that. And then, of course, we, we'll, we have lots to talk about at the end. Um, but she is a, she, in this type of movie, right, uh, you know, when we look at the other Marvel movies, I guess the closest relationships we can find are, are um, Tony Stark and Pepper, right? And perhaps... Um, They've set up these other romances, but they're never really so in-depth as this one here. Mm-hmm. This one is a love story. Deadpool is, in a sense, a very good love story, aside of being a very fun, raunchy comic book movie. And again, it's the crux of the heart. And the fact that she still remains in love with Wade um, is something to be said. Uh, she's she's great. I was What I was really surprised about is anytime there's a movie, right, that opens up, like okay and we got a flashback to get to this part it's usually well farther into the movie <laughs> when in, in actuality it was like 10 minutes in <laughs> so he's like yeah we gotta back this up and so we get the credits all that action and then we get to that point <laughs> so they disperse with it dispense with it rather quickly and then we're off to the races and it really is deadpool coping with well how how a superhero can cope with death um uh, a support system. Uh, and that, to me, too, I found to be a, a fascinating aspect to a, what's essentially a superhero movie. 
Yeah, well, as Ryan Reynolds says, he says the first movie is a love story masquerading as a comic book movie, and this one is a kind of family film masquerading as a comic book film all over again. So, obviously, we're, we're correct in that notion. Uh, you know, as far as... It's interesting to know all the people that are on Deadpool's side. Um, in particular, Colossus, he's really the, the catalyst to springboard this whole family notion and bring him into the X-Men, which Deadpool obviously is not the biggest fan of. Uh, too many rapey white guys, <laughs> as he says in his chair. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, um, it's, it's it's interesting how that grows because, you know, he never had a father figure and then um, with with the kid and, and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see all the reflections of Deadpool in this movie. Cause to me, it's, it, it is you, the antagonist who's supposed to be cable is really a reflection of him. And then, uh, so's uh fire fist. Right. Looking for family, wanting to protect family as well. That's actually too, what I liked about the cable character. I mean, we've seen movies where the villain is motivated by someone killing the family, right? Then the villain goes off in revenge sometimes and somebody's got to stop him. Or revenge just does the, that character can be an anti-hero and serving revenge and he or she could end up dying from you know, doing this revenge. So, but Cable has this, in a sense, you can call it a cliched plot device to come back and we think he's the villain, but I liked the turn. And then Cable himself becomes self-sacrificial. Uh, he gives up the power that can get him back to where he should be. Um, and I really enjoy, I like that. I, and I didn't see it coming. First and foremost, too, I'm not like a huge Marvel thing. So I don't know much about that character Cable to begin with. So it was refreshing to me to see on screen somebody who we thought to be the villain have that change of heart. I was like, wow, he's really cool. And you know what? I like he and Deadpool together. <laughs> you know, it was really fun. Yeah, I did like that the change of cliche because throughout the middle of the movie, you know, there, there's always a point. It's like it's hard to give, progress anywhere in storyline and character growth if you're always fighting against someone to have that antagonist. And the fact that Cable wasn't the biggest antagonist as we were led to believe, and they actually started working together. Then we got more prog progress with mm -hmm. them character development story was moving we were going from place to place it so it's better when you're working along with someone instead of fighting someone and yeah. i like that and to have two guys who are like completely opposite in personality somehow find this fairly common middle ground yeah. uh, and the same theme that they can both relate to it, it was interesting to watch and, and there was a, towards the end there was a mutual respect yeah, for one exactly. another, uh, which, again, we don't see that often in the superhero genre, uh, at least in the cinematic. I mean, I am strictly talking within the movies. Yeah, well, you know, most, most plots at this point when it comes to superhero movies is, OK, we're either going to end the world we're gonna, or we're going to destroy the universe. And that's noble in some sense. Like, you get it, but there's no human... It's very tough to build that human emotion. I'm not saying it's impossible, but at this point, because it's been done so many times, how do you keep that fresh? And what this does is it self-contains everything. You know, at the end of the day, what Fire Fist really wants to do is stop, you know, go against this sort of maker in a sense and, and destroy him for what essentially he's being tortured. 
And, you know, Deadpool can buy into that. And as far as Cable's concerned, he just wants the he, he knows the extent that will take Fire Fist by doing that. And he just wants to prevent that. So, you know, we've got the X-Men doing their own thing. We're reminded of that quite heavily. Right. But this is this is a very small part it's of that universe. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. And and characters actually learn like Cable he says to Deadpool, "Okay, I'm going to give you your shot. You know, I'll give you 30 seconds, which, you know, lasts for 30 minutes." <laughs> but he goes, "I'll give you 30 seconds or whatever, you know, and I appreciate that and that through that journey, both Deadpool and Cable learn. Uh, they they grow a bit. And uh, th- I think for these kind of movies, too, it's somewhat rare. Um, it's refreshing, but it also fits into the comedy. Like, the comedy here, too, is blended so well. You, you're laughing. You're getting emotionally drawn in. And can Deadpool save the child? You know, are Deadpool's intentions true? Is it nature versus nurture here? Um, yeah, it's a fun ride for that. Well, what's, to me, one of the interesting parts of all of it is its ability to touch upon its story tropes. And yet, by doing so, it, it kind of puts into plain sight what the reveal is going to be. Because and what I'm talking about is, is, is the coin, right? It's made such a big point, and at first you're like kind of coin, and it takes this symbolic meaning because of what it means to Vanessa and him, and immediately you understand it, and then it's touched upon throughout as this just symbolic thing of their love, and then it takes on a whole different meaning, how it literally saves his life, and the fact that there's so many times that they say foreshadow or this and that, Mm -hmm. they're literally just hiding what they're about to do in plain sight right? without, you know, I didn't see it coming yeah no i didn't see it coming either and i was like oh and that's what made it refreshing too to see a a comic book or a superhero movie surprise me um you know to your earlier point writer paul wernick um really great article in hollywood reporter he talks about the stakes of deadpool and he said the deadpool movies are so much different than most other superhero movies because it's generally not the fate of the world he goes it's personal. Uh, it's Deadpool. It's what happens in his life and his loves, his ups and downs through his day. And that makes it personal. And they stuck to that. Uh, and, you know, it, again, just going to the point of what we witnessed uh, and what we uh, uh, felt, that's, uh, they succeeded. Well, even, even from that perspective, they were very conscious not to... This isn't uh, X-Force origin story. And... <laughs> To that point, it really wasn't. <laughs> no. Talk about subversion. Um, which, you know, again, as, as I made my overall points, I thought Domino was one of the great aspects of this movie, and she really stole the show. Um, but to have her as the sole survivor of this entire expedition, if you will, I, I thought that that worked well, because it set up a great joke, and then boom, we're done with it, and we're back to being self-contained. But, yeah. I like that character. I thought it, I thought it was funny because we always see in the other comic book films, you know, the the genesis of starting like a fun team and gathering everybody together, the dif- different personalities and superhero types, and then we get this awesome montage of bringing everybody together, and it literally lasts for five minutes. You're like, oh, okay. So I'm like, and that was fun to watch because it went one way and then completely took a left turn 
for just a creative laugh. Um, and sure. I didn't mind that either because you're not expecting it. And yeah. I thought that make, that sequence alone like really kind of makes this film stand out compared to other comic book films. True. Uh, you don't, and again, you don't see it coming. Uh, give credit to uh, I mean, Zazie Beetz, uh, who plays Domino. I, I, she reminded me of Tessa Thompson as, as like Valkyrie. Um, it, with with more awesome. with more exactly and more like more attitude, more sarcasm, right? Mm-hmm. But the luck joke was hysterical because <laughs> even if she's falling power. back, it's not a superpower. I think it is, and mm-hmm. that that whole dialogue was 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 funny. But then to see it in action, where she could fall backwards out of a helicopter or whatever, and not be worried because she's going to fall into an inflatable panda. <laughs> It's like I know I'm gonna be okay, but then the, the level of ridiculousness they, they they took it to like the um, whatever you want to call it. The, I'll just call it the truck. The fact that it can drive itself and, and all this it just it just worked out so amazingly. But it uh, turn when absolutely necessary. She lets go of the wheel and it turns. Yeah, but even it, they they did kind of highlight it um, uh, with with T J Miller's character. Where he says, you know, there's bad winds. And at first, like, when I first heard that, I was like, that's out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> like, I've never heard someone like, oh, there's bad wind. But just, the, and it wasn't even the, that line in particular, just the way he said it. It was almost like a wink to the audience, but you're left wondering, what, what does that have to do with anything? Right. And then, boom, that became this running gag of, well, we told you there's bad winds. <laughs> Um, so it has this ability to to take something and really snowball it into its full effect. Right. So I, I, I appreciate that. One of just from a production standpoint, what's uh, you know when we talk about Deadpool and we talk about the emotions, they made a very specific point to have him be not in ma- in his mask whenever it was some of the more emotional beats. But then some of the, the, the comedic beats that we're talking about, the fact that he is in his mask, Ryan Reynolds basically till the, the last point that he could, he kept rewriting jokes and just inserting them in to make it as funny as it could be. And I think that's, uh, you know, that A, that's dedication, but a great way if you're able to do it. If you're able to do it. Sometimes you wish more people or more productions who would, could or would take the time to maybe try to do that. Other productions, they may be hampered. You know, they may not have the time uh, or the resources to be able to do a take after try, try, try. Uh, but again, it, it really goes down to this. Truly, is Ryan Reynolds' character um, now, and he makes fun of himself as we, you know, at His the signature. end. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. That's right, <laughs> and. But, you know, right from the production of this movie, it really, there were decisions that were made going into production that were in part his that sort of kind of changed the landscape from from he and the original director parting ways. Uh, now he's a producer. Now he's writer. I mean, a lot of this falls squarely on his shoulders. If this movie didn't work, the, he's the one that you could really like point the finger to but he's kept it going uh and and quite well and he did a really good job for a sequel he didn't he did not rest on his laurels he fought to try to make this work and he did 
Yeah, and as for writing of the jokes and stuff, uh, production-wise, that's actually very practical because I can understand being maskless for the emotions things that comes with the drama and the actual acting that's involved in it. But when it comes to wearing the mask during jokes, we never truly see his mouth moving, so that can easily be replaced in ADR with moral jokes that they just recorded and swapped out for, like, that joke didn't hit, let's just insert this joke instead. And you would never know if he actually did that take during the live filming or that was actually ADR'd later. So practicality, it makes more sense. Yeah. And, you know, speaking to his writing, uh, it was it was the three of them really writing it, and he he truly became a third writer on it as far as when it got when it got down to crunch time essentially they they divided the script into thirds and everyone took a chunk and just basically wrote it and they actually credit themselves because each of them had a long history with the character and Mm -hmm. uh they knew what it sounded like uh the three of them had a shorthand and knew how to do it and then you know they gave it back to each other and kind of revised it a little bit but the fact that they were able to do that um, I thought it was a really cool part of the process. Absolutely. And and it also delivers, there is a, because it's a comedy too, there is a cadence that's involved that the three of them know. And once you get into that and you understand what Deadpool is, and too, don't forget, there was a huge learning curve. When Deadpool first made its debut, what, two, three years ago, right? Outside of the comic book readers, as the moviegoer, they didn't quite know what to expect. As much as the marketing tried to hit you over the head that this is a different movie, once those credits rolled, you knew it was a different movie, and they were off to the races. So so they, they, they created this world, this Deadpool universe. They expand it in this movie, and they... We as an audience now, we're, we're better educated. We know to, what to expect. And sometimes when you know what to expect, it limits how you can be surprised. But this movie kept the surprises intact. And so the three of them together knew the, quite, the right beats as to how can we, yes, we have to deliver the laughs and the raunch, but how are we going to surprise the audience uh, again? Which, as far as the create creative side of it um as as far as i understand it tim the original director and ryan what their creative difference really was ryan wanted to have it be more raunchy and stick to that element because he thought that was the most successful part of of deadpool and so you know that's where they disagreed but what i do appreciate i mean i don't know the actual true story um there's a lot of rumors but at least publicly what it seems like is that you know, it's it was creative differences, and there's no ill will from one to the other. And I think, you know, I think we're seeing more and more of that happen, especially with Disney. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing as far as if you don't agree on something creatively, that it doesn't have to be bad blood. Just say, okay, we disagree, and let's part ways, and let it be that. Yeah. You know, and if in the future a project makes sense, then we'll have it make sense. Sure. And this just wasn't one of those things. Yeah. And we'll never actually get to know um, which how, how he how the original director wanted this to go, which is okay. It's usually, but the connotation is always because it's something from the past. Historically, when you part ways due to creative differences, there's like bad blood. Um, so, however, it went down. Whatever choices were made, obviously the film still works. We'll never get to know what that director's vision for Deadpool 2 could be. 
But Ryan Reynolds still worked great with the writers, the cast, this this, this director who who's very capable of doing action movies uh, and now infusing some comedy and the timing. They get it right. So this this crew still worked top notch for this movie. Let me, you know, we, we've been touching upon the jokes. So I want to ask you guys, as far as the jokes, um, there's there's jokes that are actual jokes, but then a lot of the laugh stuff is really more just references. And I want to get your guys' take. I know none of us are really comedians, and it's always, you know, one of those things like, how funny can you be di- dissecting comedy? But is it a joke if it's just a pure reference? Like, the, the for example... The most obvious one to me was when when he tells Josh Brolin, "Okay, Thanos." It's a very f- funny thing because it, it's very it's not a joke joke, but it's it, we're two weeks out from be, from, from Josh Brolin. <laughs> By the way, good for Josh Brolin. He's got this. He's got Avengers, and he's got Sicario coming out soon. So he right. is killing it this he's year. Killing he is. But nonetheless, it's it's not a real joke. It's just a reference, and you either get it or you don't. Like this, this, I, I don't know. I, I just wanted you guys' take on like. I think using it's that smart. as humor. Yeah, I think it's smart. It, it definitely plays on just the pop culture references that if you're watching Deadpool, it's practically, uh, you know, presumed that you've already seen the other films that are in within the Marvel Universe, even though they are kind of different. They're not in the same cinematic universe, but it is the same um, demographic and it makes sense that like if you saw this you'd probably see the other one um, I liked I love the reference of the 24601 I'm a big Les Mis fan I've been listening to the soundtrack a million times all week um, like I thought that was brilliant how it was played throughout you know Fire Fist number was 24601 even on the map when they drew arrows 24601 moves here um, I thought that was funny even the Beyonce reference then yep. um, he was referencing a song I thought that was funny so I think it's they're really playing on on the demographic who is well aware of all these pop culture references in today's age. Yeah, and from the super movie standpoint, it just means that it that Deadpool is well within our rooted universe. I mean, who knows? Deadpool may have three weeks ago gone and seen Avengers right. <laughs> Infinity War, right? So uh, that's funny, but it's also it's also great too that how Ryan Reynolds references himself from when Deadpool showed up at that atrocity X, uh, Wolverine X-Men Origins. He was Deadpool. <laughs> he shut his mouth. So they show this scene and then all of a sudden he just gets shot and he, Deadpool comes walking and he goes, don't worry, I'm just messed. I'm, I'm cleaning up the timeline. Don't worry, you can go home now. And, and it's great that Hugh Jackman gets the joke that that part of Marvel gets the joke as to what is going on here. And I'm also going to say it also is making fun of Avengers Infinity War Part 1 with all its timey-wimey thing and we got to go back. Like, how are we going to reset? That's what this movie does blatantly. (laughs) So to me, it's brilliant that it is so self-aware with the Marvel Universe, but DC as well. I mean, DC took its hits. It's like, yeah. it's too dark. 
But also, the Marvel movies are known for if they F up the first time around, they're just going to use the supernatural power of rewinding to to redeem their quote-unquote mistakes. They did that with the X-Men Days of Future Past. Sure. Because they F'd up the third one, so they're like, let's make this movie go back and fix our problems in the third one. So it's not the first time we've seen messing with timelines just to redeem their mistakes and like, okay, move forward. Things are different again. But the, obviously the difference is that Days of Future Past is a wonderful movie and does it on a very serious level yes. versus <laughs> this just subverts it in its entirety. It just says this never happened. Uh, and again, going back to DC does take its hits. <laughs> I, I really laughed for a long time when you see Ryan Reynolds behind the desk going, I'm making it big time. And he's, uh, he's reading a script and you see it's Green Lantern. And then all of a sudden... Wow. He gets shot instead. He goes, I'm saving you, buddy. <laughs> or well, something. It was, well, it was fa- great. As far as I think... It uh, never happened. You know, what's interesting, like, there's a, to me, what, you know, whether whether it's conscious or not, there's a natural byproduct of this whole idea that, like, at least with when it's making fun of Marvel movies, it's making fun of something great to me overall. Because, you know, certainly critically... The Marvel movies are much better received than the DC movies. With DC movies, there's just what it's getting at is they're both truthful, right? Um, as far as their critiques, but with DC, it just cuts a little bit deeper. Yeah. You know, the whole Martha joke for Batman v Superman and everything else. It, it, it just it almost seems mean spirited. I don't know, and I know you know perhaps I like perhaps it is, right. but uh, nonetheless, it's. But I you, think they call. I I like the fact that they did call out how too. ridiculous that was. Um, I, I did like the joke of Knight of Cape, whose mother is also named Martha. Yeah, brilliant. Because they they kept poking joke at DC over and over again in this film. I was like, oh, are, are they? Can they get away with that? Um, I didn't mind it. I liked how they did because, in a sense, it had the Mel Brooks essence to it. Think about his some of his oh, best films, right? So when you look at Blazing Saddles, he was making fun of classic westerns. I mean, that's what makes them so parodyable. If they're classic and a lot of people see them, you get the reference. Same thing with Young Frankenstein. He's making reference. He's making fun of classic universal horror movies. High anxiety. He's poking fun at Alfred Hitchcock. So you get the joke, but you get the joke because you're aware of Alfred Hitchcock. When you're talking about making fun of the Marvel movies... Everybody's seen them, so the chances are you're not throwing darts at a dartboard blindly. People are going to get the joke. Same thing with DC, because these superhero movies are so popular. But you're right. For the DC stuff, he was just happy to make fun of himself. Of like, God, Green Lantern. Oh, that, that almost wiped out my career. And that whole timeline, the the Martha Martha, it's like, wait, is this dark? What is, what is this, a DC movie? I love that type of skewering. It's satire. And why not? Everybody sees these movies, they'll get it. Well, one of the things I did, you know, going back to the Hugh Jackman bit, what I appreciate, they they asked him for permission to do it, which is, it goes to show how much respect that man has and, and frankly, don't you know, deserves for obviously being that character. Uh, and furthermore, you know, I'd be curious to kind of really see a whole behind-the-scenes featurette of it, but they they used un, whatever you want to call it, unaired footage 
from that movie to really get his look, you know, and, and his reactions to the whole thing. Right. And, I mean, we love Hugh Jackman <laughs> yeah. in and of himself, too. Also, when the Deadpool 2 first came out, Hugh Jackman even went on his social media and sent out a video. He's like, damn, Deadpool 2 is a great film. Like, he himself, like, appreciates just the work and the story of this movie. Even though, yeah, they could be, you can consider competition between these characters. But even Hugh Jackman's supportive of his other comrades. Which say. is great. And and I know uh, I was at CinemaCon that, that Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds <laughs> did an opening video uh, that, 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 that introduced the Fox presentation, the 20th Century Fox presentation. You know, in asking him for permission... Uh, that movie was again when you talk about a, a character, uh, an actor who owns a you know a role. Hugh Jackman was heavily involved in that particular that that Wolverine. Every yeah, um, but well, aside from that though, in this movie he was he helped drive the story. He was a producer on this movie, this X Men Origins Wolverine movie. A lot of that movie. Was was on his shoulders. It made money. It wasn't critically received, and the fans, um, same thing. It wasn't well received from fans, and I think he knew that. But it just goes to show too the Hugh Jackman sense of humor of self too. Going, you know what? The Deadpool movies. This is aside from that, it's in Marvel. This is just really funny, and he gets it. And you have to respect an actor who can be self aware and have that selfish humor about himself. Well, that's that certainly one of the things that's worked with Deadpool 1, Deadpool 2 is the humor <clears throat> of the X-Men, and in particular this whole notion that no X-Men will come within touching distance of Deadpool. Certainly not Wolverine. When you Marissa, when you talk about the competition, there's no competition between Wolverine and Deadpool. It's Deadpool simply, you know, trying to get at the same level of Wolverine and mm-hmm. and the whole movie opens up with the whole idea, which, by the way, for those people, I, I kind of feel sorry for the people who haven't seen Logan, because, man, spoiler alert at the <laughs> right. beginning. No right. kidding. <laughs> I believe, like, even the, the trailer promotions, I, I believe it's even for this one, that they were poking fun of going to see the the newest yeah. Logan film. when they were Because when Logan came out of 2017... During the trailers for that movie, they per, they were promoting Deadpool. So it's right. like they go hand in hand. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I, I really, I, I like it a lot. And again, it's it's self-aware. But it's done, it doesn't pander. And it's not just to beat you over the head. It's that there is a cleverness to it, which is what we're talking about and why we like it so much. And the studio, you know, it, it's <clears throat> Fox, obviously. But the, but the whole idea that they're also in support of it. Sure. The, the fact that they, X-Men and Deadpool were filming side by side and they were able to get that one shot of like, hey, could the studio spring for any X-Men? And then you get that great shot of the X-Men and just closing that door. Brilliant. It's a great little bit. And the, the fact that everyone just kind of went along with it to, it to placate to it. Sure. So I thought it was funny because it just shows that there is a disconnect between like the X-Men wouldn't want nothing to do with Deadpool's character. So it, it is fun. And I did like the fact that they're in the same location, too, because it is all relative. Yeah. And, uh, again, I, I don't recall seeing the X-Men mansion in the trailer. So for me, when we go to the X-Men mansion, I'm like going, oh, this ought to be good mm-hmm. <laughs> to see 
Deadpool and uh, X- Professor X or Xavier's wheelchair were tooling around. I was like, oh, this is not going to work. This is great. And again, it just, it's a side of Marvel that cinematically, it really, it, 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 um, it takes a deep breath takes us out of the seriousness of which Marvel has turned into. And it makes us, uh, as, as, a, as, as these superhero um, movies, if you're a fan, you take a deep breath, you can sigh because you can laugh. Because we know we're getting in- <laughs> Infinity War next year and we don't know how dark or how that's going to be. But at least with Deadpool, you're allowed to laugh at this stuff. Yeah. And they make a point of doing it. Uh, I do want to talk about the marketing. and I know sure. kind of taking... A left turn here. I do. We will come back to the action and, and more story stuff, but it just seems like a natural transition. One of the brilliant things I love about this movie, and for those of you listening, if, if you're interested and you haven't listened to our Deadpool anatomy, and by all means, you know we encourage you to go check that out. We talked about the marketing for that film at length. What I loved about it, it took that the concepts of that marketing ploy. And took it to the next level, where it created trailers that were just simply brilliant. And we talk about a lot, especially with comedy, the misuse of lines that don't end up making it into the movie. And they purposely did that, which I appreciate it. And the whole fact that, you know, there's a whole trailer with Cable's arm not being CG'd out. And that's the butt of the joke. Right. I, I, I thought from a promotional standpoint, nothing gets better than these trailers. I thought it was simply brilliant. And it delivered what you expected and then some. And it didn't give anything too much away from the movies at all. It was just what we learned from the first Deadpool movie. And the trailers just leaped on that and said, hey, Deadpool 2 is coming out. You're going to get more of the same, but it's going to be tri- it's going to be different. And we're still going to have fun. And they had a great Red Band trailer. That you, and... Uh, yeah, I felt from a trailer and from a marketing perspective and even from a poster perspective, um, they did a really good job. Their print ads and their trailering. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. I was saying, like, I think the first full trailer that I saw was the one where they were poking fun at Cable's arm and the VFX not being fully done. So I was like, going along the Mel Brooks kind of comedy when you're self-poking at hey, the production aspect of a film not fully be completed. I thought it was fun because it just shows that uh, crazy characters are going to happen. It has his personality. Um, and everyone like knew Deadpool already. So I was like, right. okay, here's another film. In the world of sequels that we always get with Marvel films, It's yeah, I was actually excited to see this one. Yeah. They did it, its job. It, they, they gave you, what a trailer should do is give you the spirit of it. Right, sure. and this certainly did, and, and one of the things I believe it's in that trailer. He also did a, like a whole showdown scene with with, with right. basically Legos, not quite Legos, yeah, yeah. Like action figures with the yeah, dolls, like yeah. Puppet things. Um, so I thought that was funny, and it subverted the idea that, it, and it, and it ingrained in us like Cable and him were going to be going at it, and that was going to be the final scene. Furthermore, they specifically shot the X-Force in scenes that were never going to happen because right. they knew they were going to kill them off just to just to create that uh, twist. Uh, the other thing that I, I think is brilliant, I you know, uh, I, I feel like more movies will do moving forward. If you can't buy a Super Bowl spot, a live tweet the Super Bowl. 
I thought sure. That, that Pretty was, smart. That, that was the most genius thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. You know, and, and they, they tweeted as if it was Deadpool tweeting the Super Bowl. Yeah. Brilliant. And it, then they released the trailer right after. Sure. And you know that Ryan Reynolds is going you know, to be watching the Super Bowl anyways. Yeah, who isn't? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like, you know, now the Super Bowl in some sense, like when you, when you talk, it, it lives on social media. Mm-hmm. And so the when you talk about audience... And especially your, the audience that you're going after, they're going to be on Twitter. I, I just can't commend that enough as far as the, the way they approach the marketing for the, this movie. Yeah. Um, but I do... Okay. Brilliant! Brilliant indeed. Speaking of other brilliant stuff, I do want to take it back um, and, in fact, applaud our hair director, David Leach. Uh, he comes from a stunt background. We had talked about him for quite a bit uh, back in our Atomic Blonde anatomy uh that was his latest film then and one of the things that that ryan reynolds described him as he has because of his stump background he has an ability to make things seem so much better simply because he knows how to pull them off and so even when you have a smaller budget it looks 10 to 15 times grander than you know right the money that it cost i think that's uh as far as what they were able to pull off, yeah, I could definitely see that. There's a lot of good action set pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the sequence that has the most quote unquote stunts would be the X Force trying to hit the ground when there was bad ones because they, it was stunts galore of going left and right and going into trucks or electricity poles, as <laughs> horrible as it was, but it was done so seamlessly. Yeah, he's a great stunt. Person, martial artist, mentor, uh, that, again, when we talked Atomic Blonde, you, I mean, Charlize Theron, I mean, you, she looks like she's taking the hits and giving them back doubly. Uh, and in here, too, uh, with, with Ryan Reynolds, uh, again, I guess what makes it easy, too, because he is a man in a mask. So you don't know how much of his own stunts that he's doing. Right. It's easy to cover that up. But regardless, whatever the stunt is and the action set pieces, they are made to look mega budget, really big, regardless of if actually, no, no, it's just the way that we staged it and filmed it. It looks, it's meant to be that way. And that, that, that truck scene that we were talking about earlier, that's a great scene. Uh, he has good fight scenes uh, as well. So, yeah, it's uh, the stunt work in this movie seems seamless and seems a very lot more complicated than it is. But that's movie magic of it all. It and makes at, it work. At the end of the day, it's not beyond this movie. <clears throat> like if we saw wires in the shot for wire work to be like. Uh, I guess we forgot to take that out. Right. Oh, well, just pretend it's not. You know what I mean? Like, any anything's on the table. Yeah, having a little help there, I see. Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever. You know, like, or, you know, you can even see that as a luck joke of like, oh, isn't that lucky that you... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's lucky that... Uh, that's what works so well with it, and uh, it's just the ability to actually pull it off and... and they were able to, so I, I applaud them for that. And they do, and they took the action seriously too. I mean, outside of you know, the, like you said, the truck turning on its own, mm-hmm. but the action scenes were still filmed as full-on action scenes. So whatever humor you can pull out of that, they still you still have to uh, film it 
with a sense that you're appreciative and respectful of an action scene to make the comedy come out more. So, yeah, and it draws you in. And what superhero movie doesn't have set pieces? I did also like the prison scene where everyone's trying to break out. Yeah. Um, I thought that was very well done in, in staging from, like, falling from different tiers of that, that prison, going from, like, top third floor, falling on the table. Mm-hmm. That, like, awful, painful to, to watch, but um, good stunts in that sequence as well. Mm. One of the initial proposed things was that everyone, all the mutants were going to get their collars off and it was going to really be a whole riot. But due to budgets, they, and, and actually creatively, they do cite that it actually works better because it's much more focused on what's actually happening Cable, Fire Fist, and Deadpool rather than just, you know, showing all this action just for the sake of action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody else. <laughs> so, I, you know, the budget. The budget constraint in this sense, I, I do appreciate it. it. It forced them to be as clever as they could, and I think it pays off. Um, and I also think adding that would have made the movie way longer than it needed to be, especially in the middle. It's sort of dragged. Right, and the other good thing about, like, say, the fight scenes, too, uh, and the action sequences, they weren't over. They weren't overproduced. There was there wasn't quick cuts. There wasn't the shaky cam. There wasn't confusion. You know who's fighting. You know where shit is coming from uh so and it makes it it makes to me uh, an action scene much more personable because i can watch it unfold in front of me and that raises the stakes how are they going to get out of this other than let's shake the camera a lot we'll get everybody dizzy and i don't know what the hell is going on here uh i think there's action so yeah it, it was handled extremely well here absolutely uh all right so when we talk about story, one of the things uh, you know that helped shape it initially. The first cut of this was about two hours and twenty something minutes, mm-hmm. uh, which, believe it or not, is actually not that long for an initial cut. And you know, they said they had to kind of finesse it and whatnot, and you know, they got it down to about two hours. So, not in the end, they didn't have to lose out on a lot, which is pretty cool. Yeah. If you really stop and think about it, because, you know, especially comedies with all the jokes and if you keep it off, you know, keep the true fat in, it ends up being like sometimes three hours. Could be. It'll be interesting to see on Blu-ray a couple of things. A, if they show any of these deleted scenes. B, if uh, they have the courage to show alternate joke takes. Like, what, what, show us this. Like. And we took it out or whatever or did this. Because sometimes in those sequences, you go, why didn't they stick with that? That's sort of cool. But I'm glad I'm getting to see it now. And wow, that, that's a funny joke. Well, they did and, say, in fact, <clears throat> uh, David is currently editing the, we'll call it the Blu-ray copy, let's say. And they are purposefully keeping his initial two hour and something cut. And he is also alternating what you saw in the theater versus you know, new stuff. So uh, I, it'll be interesting to compare. Yeah. And the fact that, uh, yeah, the, the, I'll use the C word. Everything in this movie is canon, as the writers write. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if uh, what ends up happening with the Blu-ray. Yeah. It's just a nice alternate universe. Well, right. it, it, I'd, I'd be more interested to see what other jokes that they mm-hmm. had. If we know that Ryan Reynolds like took take after take and adding different jokes to it. Um, I mean, we've suffered through the Apatow films of uh, some scenes running too long because they kept the jokes still going and 
Yes. Had you cut unnecessary Absolutely. jokes, the movies would be shorter by 20 minutes. And that, <laughs> that's probably might be one of the things that happened with this film. They probably cut Could back be. a lot of the jokes. So I would be okay seeing the, the alternate version. Yeah, and, and I know at least one of the jokes uh, that was taken out because they had mentioned, uh, you know, why don't you go back and kill baby Hitler? Mm-hmm. And they actually were going to have a scene where he goes back and kills baby Hitler. And then they're like, yeah, killing babies, even though it's Hitler, like we let's stay away from that and just we Don't want lie. yeah they drew a line. Um, so, but it's interesting that they actually had that worked out for him to because he's going back to you know fixing up timelines. Um, and then how do we explain that? Well, it's funny because well, how do you explain everything else? Because it's the only movie that retcons itself when you think about it at the end. But I think that's part of the joke. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, uh, you know for, for those I would call uninitiated, they say, well, then this movie doesn't matter. Well, it does. You know, you just – but because you have fun along the way and you, yes. you get what happens and then you understand in that final moment. Like he's still going to save Fire Fist and things are going to happen the way they did except now Vanessa gets to live. So right. yay, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you is this. This is a more serious subject matter, but uh, T.J. Miller. A lot has come about with T.J. Miller, and because I also cover Silicon Valley on AfterBuzz TV, I happen to know more than most, including the alleged, well, not alleged, uh, the, the, the bomb threat that he caused at a train station, an Amarok train station, and so forth. This guy is just riddled with just so much bad stuff surrounding him. Uh, and there was calls to the the idea of reshooting him, much like uh, they did with All the Money in the World and replacing Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. Right. For, and they chose not to do that. It, it's kind of surprising, A, because the fact that that movie was able to pull it off in less than a month shows that it can be done, mm-hmm. which was their big thing of like, no, we don't have the time. But especially for a movie like this that can be so irreverent, it technically was possible. And that character isn't in the movie as much as, let's say, Kevin Spacey was in right. All the Money in the World. So can it can be possible. I say it would be possible, like emphatically, had they chose to go that route with that character. It was interesting to see him in the movie, knowing, you know, the path of destruction that, you know, that he laid waste uh, behind him. His lines are still funny. But it it's interesting. Yeah, I is it a forgive? Like, do they forgive him for doing it? I I don't know. Could they have filmed it? Would I? Pardon me. Would I have missed him? And I don't know if they found somebody equally as funny to deliver those lines, I would have been. Oh, okay, I get it. And they w- they probably would have made some self referential joke about it too. Right, and you have to remember that this director is not Ridley Scott. <laughs> Ridley Scott is like well-known um, director, like high up there in the top echelon of directors within just the cinema world. So, And he had different motivations, and they are completely different characters. Yeah, they could have recasted, um, and I wouldn't mind had they recasted just for like the sake of where this film industry is going we don't want to shed positive light on people who are really shitty in the world Mm -hmm. um but did his character deter from the movie not that much actually yeah i think what's your thoughts 
you know, I don't, I don't want to say I'm in support of anything that he did because I'm not. But I also think, you know, it's there. There has to be at least. There's always been a separation between the person and art. You know, to me, it's no different than you look at. Like my mom loves Michael Jackson. Does she love what he fully represents in the grander scheme of life? No, but she loves his music. And again, I'm not saying a line shouldn't be drawn and, and whatnot, but I just to to redcon every sort of performance that has come before it. You know, I'm not. You know, a good movie is a good movie. A good performance is a good performance. And in a sense, certainly Deadpool two should not be punished because of someone one person's actions. It's not like the movie condoned what he did. Right. I, and, and and I think there's a degree too. I mean, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure of all of all the facts behind other than I know he laid waste a lot. Um but I'm not sure pedophilia was one of them. You know what I'm saying? Like so there is there could be like a degree. I'm not sure how he miss or how he may have abused uh, women or castmates is one thing. Torpedoing one's own career is one thing. Um, you know, and again, he's just not in the movie all That's that right. much. You know, yeah. I mean, he was a he was a support character in the first movie. Funny, and he's a support character, a uh, very much of a support character in this movie. Still funny. Right, exactly. And, like, honestly, he's kind of, not to sound mean, his character is somewhat forgettable because he doesn't really add much to the plot or to the character development. He He's just there for a supplementary dialogue, really. Mm-hmm. And compared to all the money in the world, they had to change posters. They had to change the whole marketing plan. <laughs> everything. They had to change everything compared to the, to the actors. So there are different levels of what constitutes as a major reshoot compared to what can we just keep. Right. Um, and there's always one of my favorite quotes. is like, you can love the work, but not the man. Sure. Yeah. And even in this sense, it's not like I love the work. It's just I love Deadpool 2. I don't necessarily like, oh my God, T.J. Miller was the thing that made Deadpool 2 work. It's right. like, no. Yeah. T.J. Part- Miller, he's not on the promotional posters. Yeah. You know? It's Kevin Spacey was. They had to replace him. Oh, yeah, him. they had to do well, yeah, That was a major overhaul. Yeah. Speaking of that, I, I, love, I love the fact that I, I love, I don't know what you want to call it, maybe hubris, maybe not hubris. I don't know the word, but the fact that the opening credits are, no one, no one's ego is, is but hurt over the fact that they just, put Deadpool and make it a whole comedic scene. Sure. And speaking of that, like, of course, T.J. Miller was never going to be in it because it's all Deadpool. It's all and, Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, it's the, it, I love that opening sequence. Same here. Oh, it's so good. It was brilliant. But again, remember <laughs> like, the first I love Celine Dion, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think, it, and it was also, like, just a joke and knock at James Bond as well. It was done so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well. I was really like, is. I need this song in my life. <laughs> They to, get it. It was total yeah. James Bond. It was James Bond. They get it. They you know, writers, producers, they knew exactly what they want. And again, it's parody and satire. That's what makes it fun. Like this, I think when you know, I mentioned Mel Brooks earlier. This is as close as we'll get to Mel Brooks, like as far as that type of a comedy. That I mean, many people have tried, but this movie pokes fun at James Bond openings and the, the the songs. It pokes fun at its world and universe in ways 
Well, I think, so, I think there's always going to be, there's some iteration. You can look at Austin Powers as an iteration of that type of comedy. You could, Airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Long ago, though. Again, yeah. Airplane, I don't believe, as much as I love Airplane and Airplane 2, I don't think they work today. People people don't want to take the time for that kind of slapstick comedy. Um, for whatever reason, I've been getting the MGM channel on cable, so they've been showing a, a ton of the Pink Panther movies. Wait until you get your uh, right? bill this month. I, <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I won't be laughing. But the Blake Edwards type of comedy with Peter Sellers and the, and the physical comedy, I think it works today. I, I think... Audiences are too ADD. They want everything like that. They don't want a setup for a sight gag, a physical gag. This is the closest that we can get in today's world. Yeah, those parodies worked in the eighties. They might not work now. Yeah, and and they've tried those disaster movie people. Oh, they're, they're, they're just awful. Awful. They're, they're a disaster. They live up to the name. So it's it's hard. And we've also talked about how comedy today just doesn't. It plays very differently, if at all. Um, it's, it's, it's so it's tough. not what comedy is not what it used to be. It's not for whatever reason, it's not as popular uh, as a genre as it was, say, in the 80s and 90s. Sure. Which, by the way, if you guys want a great analogy of that, we've covered the Sharknado movies kind of sporadically. <laughs> yes. And that's a, that's a great discussion of something that was it was lightning in a bottle. And then a couple times they try to recreate it. I think now it's come, anyway, that's Sharknado. Sure. Look out for that this summer. You Biggest movie of the summer. Film. It'll be. <laughs> he loves those films. I know. I want to jump the shark, literally. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Let's talk about the music because (laughs) Marissa has listened to the soundtrack 5,000 times already. Uh, Only 5,000, thank you. Yes. Yes. Uh, I I thought the soundtrack really did work, you know, both in terms of the score and the the source music that they were able to pull. Um, Or create. Yes. Or create. <laughs> right. And I think like the the first film did a great job of like bringing back 90s film, uh, 90s music like Salt and Pepper and shoot, great song. Um and like and even this one they brought back Dolly Parton and that like the the way that they placed music and all the not to say inappropriate times, but like unexpected times. Like during the prison fighting, you're listening to Dolly Parton, 95. Yeah, 95. I mean, like you don't it's expect awful. this kind of music paired up with the action that you're seeing on screen. <laughs> I think, and it's also fun because that's the joke. You're it's, like, why? And uh, We Belong. I actually have a funny story with We Belong. So not to completely digress, but it's, which to- one? it's totally relevant. We Belong. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pat Benatar. I love Pat Benatar. Sure. So I was... I saw Deadpool with our family friend here, Joe Gear, uh-huh. and we were listening to, I kid you not, Pat Benatar's We Belong in My Car, and we had to stop the song halfway through because I parked the car and we had to go in. And then sure enough, We Belong was playing in the movie, and then so I was like, to finish no it. way could we had planned that. And then uh-huh. when we came back out to my car, the song played, it started playing again because we stopped in the middle. The, so like, just the use of different random songs throughout this film like really added to just the humor absolutely and and it was the juxtaposition of nine to five during a fight scene so it took something that guardians of the galaxy used to 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 aplomb but their source music fit what was happening on screen and is something that is recognizable but in two part of what makes comedy work is that it's recognizable and who would have think to have a prison riot to nine to five you know and then when you have your parody song 
uh, about Juggernaut and Holy Shitballs, and it's a choir singing Holy Shitballs, we can't kill Juggernaut. <laughs> and I was just cracking up and to watch all the credits and have that be the final song going up. Uh, it, it kept me laughing till the very, very end until it faded to black and it was time to leave the theater. <laughs> but also using shares, if I could turn back if time. If I could turn back time. Very yeah. meta. <laughs> yeah, very and, meta. And, and also, too, Fox, or Fox, I should say, Marvel has done a good job because remember in the X Men movies, um, when Quicksilver, uh, in, in, in the last two, when he's doing his. Quick silver stuff, it's done to music and it makes the sequences more entertaining to watch because it's set to a particular song. Yeah. So, what the only misstep that I thought w- with the music was the dub stuff. stuff. <laughs> what is dub? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I, I felt that was a little bit forceful. Uh, you know, like, you know, hey, is there still dubstep? in the future and of course the answer is no who who likes dubstep then we play dubstep i like dubstep i just didn't love the joke mm. that's all i thought it was funny because dubstep's for bitches whatever skrillex hater right i thought it was used actually very well so fair enough Maybe. that song is a bit of you know skrillex has come out with a lot more songs besides that one right so no. check it out if you're interested it's a great soundtrack, actually. Like, I highly recommend it. There's a lot of music on the soundtrack that I admittedly probably wouldn't listen to on a regular basis, but I think it's good workout music. It is. No. It really is. It was used to great effect in Absolutely. this movie. Absolutely. Speaking of great effect, it brought in some great numbers, didn't it? Yes. Not as good as the first, but that's all right. Uh, usually there's a much, I would say, higher drop. Off uh, from first to second, but but this uh, relatively close, you know, yeah. nipping at the heels, if you will. Um, o- opening weekend. Let's see. I'm just trying to read through my notes. Apologies. Yeah, if you have yeah. Oh well, opening weekend. Number it was the it only it took a, a do you want to call it an anti superhero movie or it took a superhero movie to dethrone a superhero movie, uh, and it was Deadpool two. Uh, yeah, and it's opening weekend. Uh, 125 million dollars. Not too shabby. Came in at number one. Uh, it opened up. Now listen, it opened up on 4,300 locations uh, across the country. Um, and 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 thus far, domestically, anyways, one hundred and fifty seven point nine million had really good, uh, strong midweek numbers. I believe it stayed number one throughout the entire uh, week that it's been out. Um, but it's foreign. It's foreign take too. Uh, thus far, two hundred and five million dollars. Uh, so and that accounts for fifty six. Let's round up 57% of the gross thus far. So a total worldwide take of $363 million. Not too shabby for, for a movie that costs about $110 million to make. So probably with all its uh, hard drives and advertising, maybe it was 180 depending on how much Fox put into it. Um, yeah, it's, it's well on its way. Uh, and and it's going to do really well on um, uh, on its ancillary markets when it comes out in Blu-ray and streaming and digital download. You Absolutely. know, especially if they come up with the version that we were talking about, it'll just reignite that that. Oh, I got to go see this version of it. I always, I like when they do that sort of thing. 
to absolutely. Them. And they could even market that in a different way of like, oh, well, you could either go see Jurassic Park or you could buy the Blu-ray. Sure. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Just poking more fun at the real world. Um, anything to add, Marissa? You look like you have something to add. I mean, uh, we, we kind of expected it to, to do good. Maybe not as good, and, and it didn't seem like it, but people... When the first Deadpool came out, people were talking about it like because they weren't expecting it to be probably as big as it did become. So I'm I'm not surprised that the um, these numbers are fairly just as well. Yeah, and it does fall a little bit shy of uh, you know of the first one. I I can't put a finger as to why. Um, it's 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 as equally a likable movie as likable as the I, first one. I think timing. I mean, that one came out in February. Could be. This is. I mean, it's SmackDown between Avengers. We got Han Solo this weekend. Like the, the marathon begins. It's real. Yeah, this, it's summer movie time. And I am sort of surprised why they didn't try to go with that Valentine's Day because they were the quote unquote anti Valentine movie. But it worked for them. Yeah. Uh, it worked great. It did. I, I mean, they were originally supposed to come out in June. Uh, so I, don't, I just think it came down to they weren't ready. Yeah. So. Yeah, it could be. Um, but, you you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, well, that one was also a love story. This is a family film. So sure. where would a family film Mother's go? Day. <laughs> well, we did cover that film, too. But I, I think we also, like... <laughs> We, this is on the tales of another Marvel movie. Yeah. It's like we've had how many Marvel movies so far, and it's only May of 50. 2018. Yeah. We've had Black Panther, Infinity War, and now this one, and they're all within months of each other. So it makes sense that they would release it during the summer. Yeah. Guess what? They're all under the umbrella of Disney, Disney, which is coming out with a movie this weekend. I yeah. know Disney's. Coming. Well, well, Deadpool is still Fox. They're not yeah. Disney yet, so. Don't, Still don't. within Fox. They wanted to make a joke, but Ryan Reynolds says, you know what? They prevented us, and rightfully so. No, that's good. <laughs> I, I just want to know what that joke would have been. Well, yeah. you don't want to piss off Disney. <laughs> no, no. Don't poke the bear. There's a great right. South Park parody where uh, Disney is run by Mickey Mouse, and he's just a slave driver slapping people left and right. I say Not poke that the I'm bear. saying that, but it's just funny nonetheless. I say poke the bear. I'm not, I'm not behind this... Uh... If if it happens, I'm not necessarily behind it. I don't think it's good for our business. I don't think it's good for the business. So too much. Uh, you can have too much, and that would be too too much, I think. But that's uh, another show. Don't poke the bear. That is another show indeed. Speaking of another show, we've got to wrap this up, and we will be doing book club mm-hmm. right after this. Of course, we we have covered Deadpool. So if you're interested in that, check it out. We've covered a lot of the Marvel movies, including Logan, including hmm. Avengers. I can't name them all. Black I mean, I could, Panther. We did Black Panther. I mean, we've Thor movies. We've done Iron Man. We've done the Captain America movies. Uh, we've done it all. Great googly moogly. We've done a lot. And we've also done a lot of actual other family movies, so check those out. Uh, please do let us know your thoughts and opinions in the comments section or tweet us. Review us on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. If you've reviewed us on iTunes especially, and it's been a while, you know, give us an updated review so that way we know how we're doing, how we can improve. We love hearing from you guys. You guys have been wonderful, wonderful, you know, co-panelists, if you will. Even though you're not in the show, you are still part of the show. 
We should ask, what was their funniest scene in, uh, in Deadpool 2? What did they like the most about it? Absolutely. <laughs> in the meantime, at Serafini TV for Marissa. That's right. The irony is is full on today. Not lost. Meta. <laughs> Meta indeed. We're talking about movies and her Twitter is Serafini TV. You can oh. watch movies on TV. Hail. Well. <laughs> there you go. Dimitri is a purist, and his Twitter reflects that, at DMovies1701. You know, you want to hear something funny about that? The actual, because I couldn't get it. I, because when I, when you, when I was urged to get onto Twitter, I tried at DMovies, because that would make sense, right? Then I tried, okay, at DMovies, and it was taken. But now, at DMovies is supporting me on Twitter. Uh, so, so the there person that took away my handle happened to 1701. See, I had Marissa movies and I was forced to change mine, so... Boom. You did? Yeah. So I was forced to change it. <laughs> so you went so. to Marissa's TV? I was. I got called out three home. times. I'm at Phil Svitek. You can join us. Uh, <laughs> you know, Follow us across our social media. Talk with us. And of course, if you'd like, send us your tick pics. There you go. That was a joke from the marketing ploy last time around. I'm surprised it's not a joke this time around, but hey, I guess they don't want to recycle it. Anyway, Han Solo next week, book club. Lots to look forward to. Lots in the rearview mirror. We'll see you guys next time on another Anatomy. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.